Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frenter. Today's guest is a second-generation employee at Severino Trucking. Having started out in the field, after university, he rejoined to help bring in new and innovative solutions. We sit down with Pat LaHur, project engineer at Severino Trucking, to chat all things construction tech and his predictions for the future. Pat, thank you very much for being a guest on Roger That. Uh, to kick things off, it'd be great if you could give a kind of quick intro into yourself, Severino Trucking, and your role there. Great. Thanks, Sean. My name is Patrick LaRue. I work for Severino Trucking. We are an earthwork contractor out of New Hampshire. Um, we employ about 170 employees, primarily focus uh, work in New Hampshire, but we do a little bit in um, Maine, Southern Maine, and a few projects in Mass for certain certain clients. Um, we've been in business for 48 years, started as, uh, the owner with a truck and piece of equipment and have just evolved dramatically from there, uh, through a lot of years of hard work. Um, my primary role at Severino Trucking is I am kind of a hybrid project manager, uh, technology manager for our field technology. So I oversee a lot of the technology that's implemented in the field from, uh, machine guidance. That was kind of one of my claims to fame. We had a gentleman that was working on that, that left, went to a different uh, company and saw a void, saw a need for it because of lack of, or starting to lack of workforce and uh, just the advantages that it gave us back um, and the effort that it reduced on our crews. So Kind of grabbed that by the horns and um, we went from I think three assets with machine guidance on it to now uh, we are up to like 26 so pretty dramatic jump in 10 years um, I'm actually out on site right now watching our 374 cat excavator with machine guidance on here cutting cutting a pretty massive uh, project to grade without a layout foreman on site so just incredible to kind of see what you can do um, with reduced uh, input from physical labor. Um, so that's been great. Uh, I've also been involved with rolling out telematics on our equipment. That was something that we knew about. We always kind of were on the fence whether or not it was something we needed, something that justified the cost. Um, because we were smaller and then we, we grew and assets mm -hmm. started to get lost, um, trying to keep up with preventative maintenance hours on equipment was just something that was a common threshold that we were constantly, we knew we had a decent idea, but we didn't know in that moment, it was always a reactive. Uh, so by imp implementing telematics, we were able to be proactive and stay on top of all those various things. Where's equipment? We need to borrow this for a day. Where is that asset? Um, how are we on preventative maintenance? And not to say that things still don't, we still don't make those conversations or we still don't lapse on uh, preventative maintenance hours, but it's gone, it's been dramatically reduced because now we can capture, I would say probably 90% of that very accurately. And the little bit that we chase and try and fix um, is very justifiable. Uh, and there's always going to be hiccups in the system. It, there's no foolproof system, but it's been dramatically better than it was when we were trying to kind of keep track of all of our assets via uh, 
pencil and paper in just the speed of what we would move and kind of the work that we would do. So not only has that been a big benefit from dispatch, but also our mechanics uh, very much appreciate that when they're trying to track down a piece of equipment or stay on top of um, maintenance. Definitely. And yeah, a lot of that speaks kind of to, to what we're, what we're doing. And you hear a lot of people who like whether pen and paper kind of spreadsheet or they have kind of legacy software, it's like, it's fine, but it's relying on kind of people to keep it updated saying, okay, this piece of equipment's on this job site, this piece of equipment was maintained on this date. But then like you said, if you experience kind of rapid growth or everyone, you know, it seems to be the busy season is all year these days, but <laughs> um, when you kind of, when things spike up, those ones go by the wayside. It's like, Hey, we got to get work done, not do the work about saying the work we're doing. So that automated um, asset management side of things is definitely kind of the trend we're following. We were, we were building something that was a bit more on the inventory side prior. And then we're like, we could build the best inventory management tool in the world, but that's not really what people are needing because they don't have the employees to um, kind of fill key roles, let alone someone to kind of update a spreadsheet or update um, software. And then you mentioned kind of tracking machine hours. Do you find, because conversations we've had with kind of uh, particularly like in the the oil sector where they're kind of running 24-7, is there's a pretty strict maintenance schedule around machine hours but you know 500 machine hours on one job site doesn't equal 500 machine hours on another job site is that kind of where you see the telematics coming in is like what was this piece of equipment actually doing during that time yeah no that's that is we we try to stick to a 250 hour cycle um just because previously we weren't able to keep on top of the 500 hours so that gave us a little bit of a fluff if something went over or under mm -hmm. um gives our mechanics a good idea of kind of visual on what that machine's doing sometimes yeah like you mentioned uh Again, our 374, for instance, is in a way more rugged terrain than something that's doing finish work. So that's going to get a little bit more abuse, just the nature of what they're doing. Um, so definitely helps on that front. Uh, you can start to see trends as to what's what's not working. Mm -hmm. uh, why is it a repeat on certain assets? And then the other thing that we did with our telematics is also pull fault codes, too, because it's one thing to get hours on on a piece of equipment, but now with everything being smart, we wanted to kind of milk more information out of that and create a dashboard. And that's uh, the company that we went with, why they were unique is because they could actually pull the, the fault codes into it. So we can pull CAT, we can pull Volvo into one dashboard, making a one-stop shop for, for our mechanics, because it's great to have telematics all the vendors have telematics, but if you got to log mm. in each interface, it doesn't do you any good. So what I really strive for with technology is not only getting that information, but simplicity for the user, because you could have the best information in the world, but if it's not simple and intuitive, no one's going to use it. And then it's just another book on the shelf. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, you know, taking that wildly complex amount of information and then simplifying it to like, Tell me the things that I need to do more of and tell me the things I need to do less of. Mm -hmm. Things are operating as expected. Great. But right. it's where's the opportunities and where are the issues um, that need to be 
addressed um obviously something like equipment theft is just like yeah let me know that right away if something's <laughs> not where it's supposed to be um but if it's kind of things are going as as typical um obviously you know in prep for this kind of did you know regular linkedin creeping and, and whatnot and i i know your career's kind of progressed quite a bit at um severino but can you maybe share kind of that that journey from kind of yeah left high school did did what what was kind of the journey to this type of role um at this organization yeah definitely um so i am second generation at severino my dad has worked at severino for 30 i'm 32 33 years uh so ever since i was born um so kind of born into the family in a sense a very family oriented company which is a great our family christmas parties are it was fantastic because you see people that you know for years um I started work in high school um, just as a laborer, kind of part-time during the summer, then through college um, a little bit more, uh, summers and winter breaks working at Severino. We were doing our, I went to college at the University of New Hampshire, so we were actually ironically doing a development project, housing development project up there. So that worked out great between classes. I could, I could go up to the site. I did some of the paperwork. I'd hop on a roller miscellaneous labor work and then during summer just all the typical grunt work of uh loaming around the buildings and scraping uh asphalt off a curb and then um once i graduated went into the office and kind of did that was kind of my introduction to the technology side worked for implementing b2w for tracking our hours that was kind of something that we we're trying to modernize at the time, going from paper field logs to more of a digital aspect. Um, then went out, once I graduated, was a on-site project engineer, uh, working on one of our state projects, keeping track of quantities, and then just kind of being in the field full-time, seeing the void in the machine technology side of things where that could really benefit us having a 3D model that both the layout foreman, the equipment and superintendents can pull off of. And at the time, not really having that, but seeing the long-term vision that we are pretty darn close to kind of coming full circle on. So, and then from there, just intermediate steps of different technology. With uh, obviously, yeah, kind of starting that that general labor and kind of high school and kind of um, through post secondary, with kind of that is second second generation kind of being a bit of a known entity. Did you have like, yeah, I guess did you have like a welcome welcome to the industry kind of first day like the spend all afternoon looking for a board stretcher or looking for a tool that doesn't exist like. Did you have a, a memorable first day or was it kind of like a, a you got to be nice to him because his dad's been here for a while? Um, yeah, so my dad's a superintendent, so I I definitely got a little bit of uh, brazen when I when I joined. Um, most of the crew is pretty decent. I mean, they understand that you're you're trying to learn. And if you got mm -hmm. a good work ethic, work ethic, most people will will work with you. I think one of my best stories is it wasn't even intentional, but I got directions from my dad, my boss, and then one of the other or the owner and one of the other superintendents to go and get a soil sample in all three directions were completely backwards. And that was like prior to 
native GPS being on the phone. So I got twisted around for like three hours and I got back and they're like, where did you go? I, <laughs> I would just kind of put my hands up and I said, I was trying to follow all three of your directions, but, um, but yeah, no, just, it's, uh, Definitely a lot of practical jokes. I remember being on site and one of the guys getting parked underneath a gutter and they're the bed of the truck getting flooded out. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you gotta you gotta be able to handle a practical joke sometimes, but also know when to call it quits too, because some people don't yeah. don't have that uh, self control. Fair enough. And with that experience, because I know you mentioned kind of um, it, it seems a bit of kind of a, a bit of back and forth from the field to the office and obviously with kind of more of the technical side do you think that kind of intro in kind of more general labor doing the kind of you know less sexy um aspects of the job do you think that's helped on the technical side when it comes to you know implementing solutions and tools that are going to be used in the field i definitely think so um our management team is not in the office all day long. Um, most of the other contractors I deal with, I'm on a few different associations, AGC, uh, the New Hampshire chapter, and then we have a local call, uh, local um, association called New Hampshire Good Roads, which is a accumulation of a lot of our contractors. And you sit around the different tables and it's all uh, different managers, different owners, uh, different influential and everyone is boots on the ground very involved on the day-to-day uh yeah so some days you may be in the office all day long putting out paperwork but then there's other days that you're tying rebar you're digging a trench you're stuck in a roller Um, that just helps to give you insight as to what your your crews are doing Um, see what you can do better whether it's technology or not and and how that can get improved. And I think that's my my biggest Achilles heels because I drive around and I'm like, all right, yeah, no, we could make this better. I just, uh, an hour ago, I have a new app that we're testing for truckloads that I was literally following a, a uh, rock truck in my vehicle and just pretending to be a rock truck for 20 minutes to see, okay, is this feasible for one of our, our operators to use? How does it work? How does it look on the back end? Now, I like to take a lot of my meetings in the field because if I can't take it in the field, uh, that means the technology is not there. I'm not, I don't know, you feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, definitely being involved, seeing it and is extremely crucial in all assets uh, of construction. And would you say that's kind of probably the the biggest advice for the the companies that are, you know, looking to bring some tech innovation in is that like it can't be done in a silo in an office like you're going to have to you know fully integrate with the people that are actually going to be using it or else you're probably pretty set up for failure that that way. I I would definitely agree with that. It's got to start with the field user. Now, you can't you can't necessarily give it to the field user and say figure this out, but you need to go out to who's going to be your end user, give it to them. Um, I I try to perf- look at it and use it like I'm a, I'm a complete novice and say, okay, how does this work? But once I've worked through a few of those kinks, go to the end user and say, okay, here's what we're trying to do. What are your thoughts on this? What do, what do we hit the mark on? What do we sh- fall short on? Um, because if you can't get the buy-in from the user, it doesn't matter what the reports look like back in the office. If you can't get that good data in, it could be the most beautiful report, but if it gives you a bunch of zeros, 
not worth anything. And I've seen that happen with some of the software that we've influenced. So it's very important to get that buy-in from the end users because if they like it and they see that you're taking their um, their considerations into play, you're making it easier, not harder, they'll work with you all day long. But if it makes it harder on them, it's it's not good for anyone. It cuts down on production, doesn't give you the information you need, just a bad fit. And that's where... Uh, introducing technology is a little bit of an art because you do need to kind of vet out all those different little scenarios. Yeah. And I think tech for tech's sake isn't good anywhere, um, Mm -hmm. but definitely not uh, in kind of an industry like construction. And we've uh, through our discovery and whatnot, we've heard that kind of quite a bit is like a lot of companies have gotten burned in the past by tech that was never designed to be used in construction it was something that was kind of adopted or just copied from uh, other solutions and they're like oh yeah this is going to make you you know 10 times more effective or efficient or it's going to reduce costs and then when it comes time to actually use it they're like we don't really have a customer success team you got a year on a contract kind of thing and then um i think it's important for yeah both implementation but then people building tech is like it you got to go through the process and be like, tell us everything that you hate about this. Like, don't just tell us that you love it because that doesn't do us any good. But just right. like, yeah, how are we actually going to get it used? Because to your point, if, yeah, it could solve all your business's problems. But if at the end of the day, no one gives you the data that you need, it doesn't really do much for you. Um, with, I guess, yeah, tech and kind of obviously labor is is the big one and you touched on this a little bit earlier but where do you kind of see tech as helping solve that that labor issue like you know the the big numbers half a million vacancies in construction in the u.s that's not going to get solved overnight it's probably something that's going to be a multifaceted approach where do you see tech um, playing into that i mean i see it I see it currently with a lot of the tools that we've implemented. Uh, a great example of that is with something like Rototilts or uh, NCON, the um, uh, tilt rotators, where traditionally if you were trying to backfill up against a bridge abutment, that was a lot of manual labor. You actually, and I, I did that, so I know that for a fact. You're shoveling up against it. You're, you're doing a hand compactor. So you can't kind of, you needed that labor crew. Now with tools that can do that fancier work, um, you can cut down on that labor. Not that it's completely cut out, but you can dramatically reduce it. And the nice thing about that is not only are you, you reducing that work on it, the quality of the experience that that labor person is getting is maybe a little bit better too, because they're not shoveling their, lack of a better word, ass off. Uh, you're using mm-hmm. equipment to do that heavier work. Um, so something like, and that's a, that's a piece of technology that's more mechanical, but a great example of technology. Then from, I guess, my forte with the uh, machine guidance, we save a lot of physical labor on our layout form. And those are very uh, skilled personnel. They're very intelligent, also very well, well paid. Traditionally, they'd be out and on the job site, that thing would look like a porcupine giving guidance to the machines and to the superintendents as to what what needs to go on. Now with machine guidance, um, you got some augmented reality on things that like Trimble is is trying to push. 
you get that same quality of, of work, but with physical reduced effort from the layout form. And now they're more orchestrating the crew and doing more what is valuable versus putting a stake in every 25, 50 feet. So by doing implementing little or not little, but pieces like that reduces on the physical aspect of it, but you still need those people. So it also helps to encourage a, a maybe not a different skill set or a different type of person, but people in there because it's not grunt work. Now there is going to be physical aspects of construction. That's just the nature of it. And some mm. of that is hard to get away from reduce, but certain tools will eventually help with different um, 3D printer-like assets getting introduced. And you kind of see it all the time on the LinkedIn with uh, different tools. Again, the, the tilt rotators. And I just saw a cool little post about like a device that could actually stack uh, concrete cylinders and, and build a, a cylinder house. Um, and you touched on a, I think one of your points about kind of like where they can drive value, moving various pieces around. I think that's a big kind of takeaway when you have, when you can't just throw people at a problem, um, is both kind of machine, like financially machinery people. It's just like, where can you get the most out of that investment? Where can they drive the most value? And yeah, if you have a piece of equipment that can, do the job of 10 people and those 10 people aren't replaced. They're just put on a, a project that requires kind of that human touch or that human skill set that machines can't do is a lot more valuable than saying, Hey, we can't do this until these 10 people put in, you know, 120 hours backfilling. Um, I think it's that moving people or moving pieces around um, is going to be key. Just, you know, we're not, we're not going to create 500,000 people to fill construction jobs overnight by any means. Right. And on that note, and another avenue there, I think, which comes into like kind of advocacy and, and education with a, a younger generation, you, you mentioned um, doing a, a bit of a high school program. Um, would you mind telling me a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So um, last Thursday and Friday, we... Uh, through New Hampshire, Good Roads, I was over there, but there was, I don't know the exact stats on it, but we probably had to have at least 50 different contractors uh, along with different vendors. Um, there's a local 4-H camp or uh, fairground, and between uh, the different contractors and vendors, we had excavators set up that high school students, and there was, I want to say, about 1,800 different high school students that showed up between the two days. They were able to sit on an excavator, dig a hole. Um, I think there was dozers that they were able to push piles around. I saw a drill rig that they were able to operate and do a bucket challenge. We had a giant Jenga with different um, different companies that are part of the association, different booths where any kids that are kind of interested in going in more of a trade route or even something on the cusp, such as engineering, that, that branches a upon both different avenues, because I feel like sometimes there's a little bit of disconnect between being an engineer and the construction that goes on. It's just eye-opening to see what what happens or what is involved with that. And there's even admin um, components of a construction company that may not be direct uh, hands-on, 
but directly support that construction company like our uh, our great support staff that we have we have we do all our own uh, billables all of our payroll is done internally and that's something that you may need a higher education for but also part of the trade so it's good to see that yeah we're a construction company but we have mechanics welders uh we actually have a plumber for some of the miscellaneous stuff that we do um so many different roles i mean when you have 170 employees a lot of different skill sets that make makes that that role and uh so it was great just to kind of see all that and basically uh give light to those students as to different career paths that they could they could do that relate to the trades it may be a little bit different from the traditional okay when you leave high school you're going to go to college that's not a bad route, but there's also different routes in case that's not um, that's not your forte or you want to try something different for a little while. Definitely. And I think, um, yeah, as you mentioned, like it's, you know, college isn't the only option, but if you do go that route, there's still opportunities in construction and the trades that, like you said, may require a kind of higher education, but you, you can still um, end up like you said at a, at a company like Severino that has kind of a variety of skills for something like I guess what what you're doing is there any advice that you'd give to kind of that the next generation of like those those kids that kind of are in that high school end of high school trying to figure it out if they want to go into more of a kind of on the tech technology side of things um career path yeah so I mean technology is our layout foreman, they use technology all day long. And I guess where I see technology is just kind of learning. Uh, the path I went, I'm always trying to learn something. Every day is something new. I'm always researching something. How can I do this a little bit better? And that's where I, I kind of see a lot of our great layout foreman, the, the people that embrace technology, even some of our operators. I mean, even someone that wants to go technology-based, you could be an operator, and the technology that is in a piece of equipment is fantastic. It's like running a video game. So it's not just one career path. Like, I'm a technology manager, so I, I oversee a lot of it, but um, you could be an operator dealing with a 3D model all day long and being able to build a pond independently. You're a layout form, and that's... Uh, using technology to scale off the plans to get different quantities to give that information to your your supervisor as to where the next step is. As a supervisor, you're seeing the full picture pulling in different assets of um, telematics, uh, trucks, um, all the different takeoffs to, to build your schedule. It's really part of it, uh, and it's kind of getting introduced to those lower not lower positions, but uh, more introductory positions, even some of the, like the roller or, or uh, again, the truck drivers. Now you have a digital app. Um, so it's just becoming more influential in every position. Right. And I, I guess in, in, in something like your role, when you mentioned overseeing kind of a variety of those, it's just like, okay, this tech exists, how best to tie it together? Because if all of those things are, spinning off in random random directions it's great for one project but I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot of work that goes into saying okay we have tech here here and here how does it all come together at the end of the day to make sure that 
we're kind of getting the most out of it. Is there, yeah, I guess something that you're kind of building it internally, or is that part of like the, the integration process is like, I want to make sure if we're implementing in one area, it can play nice with the other areas as well as is, do you find it fine to be kind of siloed in the different areas? Yeah, it's it's kind of a multi-tier process sometimes. Sometimes you have to let it be siloed because it fits in the moment and it, it pacifies right. a need. And it's kind of like running a crew. Sometimes you got a rogue employee, but they're very good at what they do. And you got to let them do their thing, knowing that like it may not cohesively go all the time, but they get it done and they get it done very quickly. It can kind of be like that with technology where, all right, we got to let this kind of do its thing and then morph other things around it. Um, especially when you're introducing different pieces and, and depending on the time of the year, sometimes in summer, it's like, okay, yeah, we need to just, uh, we need to get this excavator up and running, let it rip, even though it may not kind of fall within our typical template. And then later on, we'll see how we can fold that in. Now, after doing it for several years, I do have a, a, a better like end goal vision as to how I see it all. And the downside is some of the technology just doesn't exist or doesn't play well together. And I yeah. try to beta beyond a lot of different things because you can get input. But at the end of the day, I'm not writing the technology. So I'm at the mercy of the tools that they're giving us. And I just got to try and give my vision and my vision and also how it fits in today and be able to kind of blend and pivot too, because it's, uh, yeah, we're at the mercy of what we're given, which can be hard to swallow sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, the, the, you know, the best possible solution, but it still doesn't necessarily, um, cover everything, everything you need mm. that, Kind of leads, I guess, to yeah, one of the the topics I wanted to kind of touch on with your experience is there kind of specific areas that you find that are either like long overdue for tech, as in like, hey, it's it's been decades, nothing's been done in this specific area, and then on the flip side, is are there areas that you feel like have been you know beaten to death? It's just like we don't we don't need another solution here. Um, yeah, I guess e either of those, like both a lack of or kind of an overdoing of tech. Mm, yeah, that's tough. I mean, there's a lot of overlap in, I understand why sometimes, because you take a telematics company and currently the trend with telematics companies, you got a telematics company, well, then they want to do maintenance. And the two, the two kind of go hand in hand. Uh, as as a bigger company that has a dedicated maintenance program, we'll try and sometimes people will try to sell you something you already have. And you got to just kind of put your foot down and say, no, we're not. Mm -hmm. We like what you have. We like this portion. It's got to be able to tie into it. I feel like the redundancy is always going to be there. It's kind of the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, it's like every time I got to download an app to do a, a different video chat, like why can't we have one app for all? I get why. Yeah. But I feel like what will help with that eventually is APIs where we can tie into it a little bit more because there are different views at work for different people, different reporting, different input. What works for what works for the back end office doesn't always work for the field. So with different APIs and just companies stripping down this proprietary, we're not going to work with X, Y, and Z. We got to get rid of that. Yeah. Uh, big big tech has to work together no different than 
we need to be able to work with our subcontractors to get the job done at the end of the day. And if we can make that more seamless, um, I feel like that's that's part of the frustration a little bit sometimes. And it's getting better and companies are realizing that they can't do it all. It's not feasible. So yeah, we can't open all the doors, but let's play nice and and, and expose some things. Yeah, I think that uh, collab- like collaboration over competition, um, when we are obviously looking at the construction industry, it's like there's, there's so much room um, across the industry for kind of tech and companies are adopting more. So it's kind of like, listen, it's not an industry that's incredibly saturated with mm-hmm. tech solutions. Like there's the opportunity to work with some other players in there um that's frankly why we moved away from like a 360 degree um kind of rental management inventory management side of things is like if we try and be everything to everyone in there but at the end of the day they're not updating the the platform it's like it doesn't really do us any any good so narrowing our focus but then yeah if a certain company has a tool that works for them i think it's in best interest of everybody to say hey we there is some overlap but we can also kind of plug in and connect and then you know you make the case to win the business down the road but no one's gonna necessarily say all right i'm gonna get rid of something i know works to bring in kind of brand new on the flip side of that is there and this you know obviously if someone's listening to this and here's a here's a great idea around with it but is there any areas that you are like hey this you know this was the same 20 years ago as it is is today that it's still very reliant either on manual or it's kind of an old school approach to it um i guess one of the things that we're we're trying to address right now is with our truck our trucks we still track all our trucks with pen and paper uh that's something that like honestly i could probably write a google uh, a google form for and do way better than we're doing right now we're testing out a couple different companies that do different things um they both have their plus and minuses but uh that's something that we've struggled with and trying to address um some of the other stuff i mean there's been a lot of if you would ask me 5 years ago there would have been a lot more but a lot of the struggles that we have are getting better. Um, one of the things I guess I see as, as I guess going back to kind of big tech and not always playing super great together, where I see a little bit of a void is everything's going digital, which is fantastic. But in order to make that available to everyone, there needs to be almost like an open source of digital plans because we've gone from paper plans that you could print out, you put it on that piece of paper, you email it off, anyone can open it up. If we're going to go to digital plans, um, digital models that we're building, it needs to be the same concept where I could, I could send a message to Sean. Sean can pull it up on his phone. Maybe you need a little bit of a, a beefier device, but not even with the, today's mobile tech that you can you can open that up if it gets too locked down it defeats the purpose of building it and in kind of progressing that technology and we'll start to kind of bottleneck because um, you need to kind of get locked in with a system so we need to kind of pivot a little bit where uh, especially with the state work that we do everything's on a, a 
you could take out a uh, 11 by 17 uh, stack of paper and go build a project. Yes, we got smarter tools, but we can't. We got to be able to share that information with all parties that be. Right. And that that notion of someone has to basically come into the office in order to get the most updated plans. They print them out. They head into the field. Someone makes a change. Okay, you got to come back into the office, print them out. Um, yeah, and I, I, things have come a long way, but just some of those those files do get pretty pretty beefy when you're trying to transfer them um, and open them in the field. And depending on where you're working, if it's in kind of more of a remote, new kind of development side of things. Um, but no, I think information's only as good as the people that can access it and mm. like the actual information that's there. Looking forward, is there anything I guess you see, you mentioned the last five years has kind of come a long way in tech. Is there anything that you kind of see or on the horizon for the next five that on the tech side? Um, I think there's going to be more of a push for things like heads up display and different, different assets. I think it's a big safety thing and I'm, I'm excited for that just from a safety standpoint, like honestly in cars i'm surprised it's not it's not a standard in cars today uh just because it's eyes on the road eyes on what you're doing and i mean with machines it's the same thing it's great that we have the screens and the cabs for uh machine guidance whether it's a dozer or an excavator and having some some of the automatics definitely helps because now they can focus but traditionally again you'd have your visual aids on the field whether it's a, a paint line as to what you're digging down or a grade stake for grade um, if we can get that heads up display on some of the screens or even something like glasses that augment with a screen so that they're always looking forward because I mean, no different than driving a car. You want to keep your eyes on the road. You want to keep your eyes on your bucket or your blade. You got people working around you. Safety is a, a mm -hmm. big thing. Or even a, uh, if you're on a rock truck, you're going around a haul road, um, that information just being there and not being supplemental, not distracting, is a, yeah. a big focus. And I, I think it's done a good job. Our operators understand. You can always tell when an operator is kind of getting into it for the first time because their their eyes on the screen the whole time. They're not necessarily looking for the beeps like you would with a laser. Um, and then after a little while, they get more comfortable where they're using it as a check. But still, there's things where it could – it makes sense that uh, – just that heads up display safety aspect. I am excited for it. And I see that as being a, a necessity going forward. Awesome. Uh, I think with, with those ones as well, then yeah, it also does come down to that kind of the data you have and the data you can, can share. Cause yeah, then the last thing you, you want is that heads up display that's meant to be kind of supplemental. Um, if you don't have kind of, accurate data that you can trust the last thing you want is that directly in the line of sight uh, of your workers so i think it comes to that you know data integrity data cleanliness and just making sure that you know you are pulling in the uh the right information there great well pat this has been great super informative um a wealth of knowledge on the tech side greatly appreciate you taking the time and we'll leave it with that awesome thanks a lot sean 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frenter. Frenter is a all-in-one asset management solution for heavy equipment. Frenter helps you secure and optimize your fleet without robbing you of your precious time. For more information, visit us at frenter.com. That's F-R-E-N-T-E-R.com. Thank you.